Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Garrett White. Thanks for being on the show, Garrett. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, honored to have you on the show, Garrett. And I met at a conference. I think I remember meeting Garrett because I, I saw him and I could tell right away he and I had a lot in common, but grateful to have you on the show. That's been a few years ago now, so it's been encouraging to see his growth and everything he's been able to accomplish in this business in real estate. But we're going to get into that. But a little about him. He's a real estate syndicator, consultant, and entrepreneur, apart from White Real Estate Investment Firm, which focuses primarily on multifamily and commercial acquisitions in the Carolinas. Garrett owns an operates White Oak Property Group, a national land company specializes in the acquisition of premier hunting land throughout the U.S. In October, Garrett was named one of Charlotte's top 30 under 30 for his work in real estate and business. And congratulations on that, Garrett. That's awesome. But welcome to the show. I look forward to just hearing a little about your journey into this business, Garrett, and then even some mistakes you've seen other syndicators making and whatnot as you've learned this business and even how you've pivoted uh, to grow in other businesses and other ways as well. But get us started a little bit with, you know, just your your progression into this business? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it kind of started out, you know, I'm from a small town in Mount Ella. We got more cows than we do people. And so for me, it was just all about hunting at first, you know, to be honest, it had nothing to do with real estate. I had such a passion for hunting and I wanted to find ways to spend more time in the woods than less time in the office. And so I met a couple guys when I was around 20 years old at a gym and man, they just seemed to really have it figured out on a day-to-day basis. They had a lot of flexibility, a lot of time. And I got to talking with them at first, I actually thought they were in the landscaping business because they were always at these properties mowing, but then come to find out, I, I determined they were real estate landlords. And so I quickly learned from those guys and tried to become an asset to them. And they became a mentor to me shortly after I bought a duplex, my first duplex when I was 20 or 21 years old, had some success with it. And then from there, the second property at the time, I was actually an intern at Duke Energy. And at the time I was only making, you know, less than $20 an hour. I had already saved up for the first down payment for the duplex. And so this was in 2012, 2013, I was really trying to find more deals and actually didn't have any problem finding the deals. It was just, I was running out of money. Around that time, I met, you know, a lady at church who, elderly lady, had lots of money sitting around in a CD. She was frustrated, only getting 0.25%. I told her, hey, you know, let's partner on something. I can pay you several times what you're getting from a CD. She and I became partners, bought my second property. It was a single family rental. And for the first time, I was able to look past the lens of income and look more towards impact and just seeing the difference I could make in the community. And that really got my wheel spinning. You know, I was still a kid, but I was like, man, how can I scale this thing? How can we, you know, have more of an impact in the community and help more people, bless more people? I recognize the need that most people thought, you know, had the same thought as me, like, man, I like the flexibility, but how can I do that? So that was ultimately the problem we want to solve in the marketplace. And it's been several years since then, but that's kind of where we're at today is still trying to just solve that problem for more people. 
Nice. Well, tell me a little bit about your focus now in real estate. I know you are focused on multifamily and now you're also doing some land stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell our team, you know, we're entrepreneurs first, investors second. And obviously, you know, where we're at in the market cycle, we're in one of the largest bull cycles we've had in history. And so it's been a little bit tougher to find some deals. So multifamily is still our primary focus, but we've also pivoted into other asset types such as land. It's an asset type that's a little bit less sexier on paper. You know, one very unofficial metric we use is going on like bigger pockets and seeing how many people are talking and how many discussions are around each asset type. And if you look on there, you actually see, you know, in the last few years, multifamily people just love it. And for great reason, you know, same reasons me and you are probably in it, the tax benefits, passive income, bonus depreciation, things like that, cost segregation. There's so many advantages, but with that has come more demand and the price has risen. So we wanted to find other ways that we could be competitive. And I think for us, it was just recognizing that at different parts of the market cycle, it's good to have different tools in your tool belt, you know, so you're never obsolete. For sure. Well, you know, growing in this business and and obviously meeting tons of other operators, what mistakes do you see just syndicators making either just because they're earlier in their business or just because of the market? Yeah. So I've seen this a good bit, especially from the consulting side with some of the students that I've had is, you know, you get this type A entrepreneur that one switch guy that wants to just go all in right off the bat. And the first thing I try to tell them is, you know, guys, girls, ambition is a great servant, but an awful leader because it can make you make emotional decisions instead of having that disciplined investor mindset. One case study I'll share with them right off the bat is, and it kind of, it'll go into more of the mistakes I see in this space is knowing the numbers is when you look at a $30 million portfolio, for example, I'm just going to run you through some assumptions, but a $30 million portfolio where you've got a capital raise or the equity that you've raised is 10 million. If you take that and you just assume, you know, which this is kind of a unicorn deal, but say that whole portfolio has a cash on cash of 10% in year one, you're looking at a million dollars of capital to disperse. A standard deal right now, you're seeing like a seven pref. So the first 700,000 goes to your investors. Now you've got 300 to split between the GPs and LPs with say a 70-30 split. With that deal structure, the GPs would be getting around $90,000 there and the LPs would be getting 910. And with that deal that I just gave you or with that portfolio, 30 million, you know, 75,000 a door, you're looking at 400 units at a $10 million equity raise, you're looking at 200 investors at 50,000 a pop. So you're probably going to have two or three GPs there. So when you take $90,000 of income that you've got, and now obviously I'm not including your acquisition costs or asset management fees, things like that, but you see how tight things can be in those first couple of years until you can get full cycle on a deal or at least further along in a deal. So that's one of the mistakes is just not understanding the numbers and wanting to go all in right away. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I also, I mean, wanted to get in as fast as I possibly could. However, I mean, we spent so much time working like two, I mean, years, you know, like two full-time jobs before we were confident we could make that leap. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And 
The story that brings me back to is if anybody's familiar with Duck Dynasty, Phil Robertson and those guys, Phil Robertson talks about it in his early days, he had to fish the river while building the duck call. And I think that's a great analogy for us as entrepreneurs and investors in the space. You know, until you can build your duck call, your multifamily business, it's good to have some type of cash flow to live off of. So it's a lot of pressure just to give all that up, right? And not have a plan, not already have some other income in place, especially if you have a family and kids as well. There's some pressure there to have that income. And you don't want to be pressured to have to do a deal, right? You don't want to be pressured to have to jump into that deal like Garrett's talking about. Well, and that's it. And you know, you hear it a lot. People say the key to real estate is never be forced to sell. I would make an argument now it's also never be forced to buy. And I think that's what we're seeing, especially as a syndicator, you know, we have this fiduciary duty to our investors and to our other partners to put everyone else's interest first. Well, when you've got your family's income and livelihood on the line, it can really blur your vision and make you do some things that maybe you wouldn't normally do or get into deals that maybe you normally wouldn't have just for the acquisition costs. No doubt about it. Well, let's talk about that a little bit with you, Garrett. I know, you know, just growing multiple businesses and working full time and, you know, and implementing just the systems you had to have or teams, habits, those things. What did that look like for you when, you know, growing businesses and working full time and, you know, and making all this happen? Yeah. So the big thing has been um, systems to start with. You know, if you take the acronym systems, it breaks down into save yourself stress, time, effort, and money. And that's what it's mainly been is really getting good systems, really thinking through like your 80-20 principle, knowing what the 20% of the tasks are that will give you 80% of the results, delegating everything else. We really like Fiverr and Upwork for VAs and have actually learned a great bit from you. You know, you've kind of set a great framework for us on, you know, how to choose a great virtual assistant and the types of tasks to delegate. But that's been really important for us is just, it's made us a lot more efficient, especially while having a full-time job. It's forced us to look at time differently and think about that so that, you know, as you do transition out of your full-time job, you automatically are a lot more effective. You've got a lot more free time to do those high-level tasks that you should be doing, the money-generating tasks. What were some of those tasks for you, Garrett, that you first handed off to somebody else? I know there's many people, you know, and I've spoke to many as well, you know, and I always say, you know, you need to hire an assistant, you need to hire a virtual assistant, at least to start thinking about, you know, the tasks that you can get off your plate, hand to somebody else. It just starts to change how you do business and how you think about your time. But what were some of those first tasks that you handed off? So you built just a comfort level of working with somebody like that? Yeah, so really, I'll kind of go the other way. I'll tell you the main tasks that I wanted to keep. And then basically everything else, you know, we've tried to delegate. So in our business, the main things with multifamily syndication, for example, is marketing for deals, marketing for dollars, managing deals, managing dollars. So when you break it down like that, the things that have been important for us to keep has been like, broker relationships, having ongoing broker relationships. That's something that's personal. It's hard to delegate that. I don't know that you would just because there's only a few brokers in any market anyways that, you know, that provides 80% of the deals. Like I've talked about the 80-20 rule. Investor relationships, same thing. That's something personal, hard to delegate. Now, some of your back office stuff as far as like Facebook ads, 
things like that. Like if you're going the online marketing route for investors, maybe you can delegate some of those things, but I'm just talking about the personal relationship itself. That's something that's hard to delegate and something I don't think you would want to. Finally, like underwriting deals. Underwriting deals is some people like to give that up. At the very least, I'd say you need to know your numbers, you know, because your whole business plan is formed off of that, off your underwriting and how you're setting up the deal. We talked about mistakes before you asked me before about some of the mistakes where I'm seeing from an underwriting standpoint, one of them being like your reversion cap rate, how you're projecting your exit. If you've got a value add deal, for example, say a class C deal, 1980s product, and you buy it as a value add at a four cap. And, you know, the rule of thumb a lot of people are using right now is 10 basis points expansion per year. So like on a five year exit, you know, if you bought it at a four, you're exiting at a four and a half on a class C product that's 40, 45 years old. I don't think that's a good way to go. What we've always looked at is, you know, like a median historical cap rate. So, you know, even if you're buying at a value add, well, your play is to stabilize it. So at the end of your five years, you need to kind of know what the median historical cap rate is on that type asset for a stabilized deal and base your exit on that. That would be one thing. Where do you find that information? Just talking to anybody and everybody, talking to bankers, lenders, talking to your your brokers, which looking at your history and kind of trending, you know, we've been in this market since 2015, 16. So kind of getting an idea of based on OEMs that we've seen in the past. It's not perfect, obviously, but I think it at least gives you a better idea just because the thing with the 50 or 10 basis points expansion thing is if you overpay on the front end on a value add because you realize you can stabilize it, you know, you're assuming there's going to be somebody else that's willing to pay just, you know, 0.5 or 50 basis points higher. I'm trying to think how to describe. You're assuming somebody's going to be willing to overpay the same way you did. No, that's something definitely to keep in mind. I'm glad you brought that up. And I wanted to back up a little bit. I know we talked a little bit about your, you know, going in getting in the syndication business and you're doing some land stuff. And I wanted to ask you then, you know, why the pivot towards land? Yeah. So one thing, you know, obviously talked about is less competition from, you know, the bigger pockets, little unofficial way of looking at it. But we like land for a couple of reasons. Number one, okay, so I was wanting to find a cash business, talking about Phil Robertson, how he fished the river, things like that. So we wanted to find a cash business while we were looking for multifamily. I've flipped houses before. I've done some things like that. I found that that was hard to scale. It's also geographically limited because, you know, the teams and things like that. With land, what we like is I can buy land out in Arizona. I don't have to go and let somebody into the parcel of the property, you know, is you can drive by it, you can see it, I can do it in any market, people aren't talking about it. The other thing is the knowledge gap there. You can go on Zillow and have a good idea of where you're at as far as comps on a property that you're wanting to sell. With land, there's not nearly the comps. It's hard to kind of get an idea of what the price is per acre or what have you. There's just a lot more disparity there and a lot more opportunity for someone who is willing to put in the time and understand it. The other thing being, you know, finding your competitive home field advantage. I talked a little bit in the beginning about hunting. Now I'm kind of bringing it full circle with multifamily. I tell people I enjoy hunting for deals, dollars, deer and turkey. 
well, with the land, it's kind of the same thing. Now we're doing hunting land. It's just my home field advantage. It's, it's an area I understand. And I believe there's probably, well, I know for a fact there's better land investors than I am and our team, but I would encourage anyone to compete with us in the hunting land because I'm now able to combine two passions, two things that I know a decent amount about, which is obviously the hunting and the real estate. No, that's awesome. I love land as well. And that's very interesting. Think about purchasing hunting land. Garrett, what's been the hardest part of just this syndication journey for you or getting into this business? Hardest thing has just been being patient, you know, seeing, not being the first horse out the gate, but just recognizing this is a 30, 40 year game for me. And so just keeping everything at bay and understanding that it is a long-term game, being patient, and not being willing to adjust my underwriting criteria, focusing on other levers to pull and being creative, not just thinking outside the box, but pretending there is no box, like thinking through your deal flow structure and how you're structuring deals, how you're engineering your capital stack and your cost of capital, seeing if there's any plays there. And then like we've talked about with land, just thinking through maybe even other asset classes, asset types, markets, like, you know, where can you zig when others are zagging? Love that thought process for sure. And on some of the same notes we've talked about, what about just preparing for a downturn? How do you and your team, you know, look at a deal and say, okay, you know, we're buying this and these are the things that help us be prepared for a potential downturn? Yeah. So it starts with your market, understanding your market, making sure you've got some insulation. That's why we really love the Carolinas. We think it's very insulated. Lots of people, lots of net migration, population growth, job growth, all your metrics, school system strong at a sub market level. So that being number one, number two, probably being picking the right asset class. Like, you know, in the past, we've looked more at class C workforce. Now we're kind of pivoting more towards class B, you know, a little bit stronger tenant base, a little bit better insulated as far as unemployment. So we're looking at deals in that space a little bit more. And then the third thing, just being your underwriting, really stress testing your deals, doing a lot of sensitivity analysis and knowing how low can you go and how long can you stay there? You know, maybe that means raising a little bit more operating funds on the front end reserves. Maybe it means doing less of a value add right now, being less to take on like some bridge financing, do more of your long-term stabilize and focusing more on stabilized deals. I think that helps you de-risk a lot. I think if you can just do those things and really just have strict adherence to your underwriting, I think you can protect yours and your investors' interests a lot. Do you have any predictions, Garrett, just over the, you know, over the next six to 12 months in a real estate market, just what you expect or ways you're hedging against maybe what you expect? I think a lot of it has to do with the Fed. What's the Fed going to do? You know, the saying the market can stay moronic longer than you can stay solvent. I think, and not necessarily that it's moronic, but it's just things are overpriced, especially in the asset markets, looking at stocks, looking at real estate, looking at Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, things like that. But the next six to 12 months will be determined on what the feds decide to do. But I do think we're destined for some type of correction. Now, to what degree, it's hard to say. You know, I don't really know that. But from like an inflationary standpoint, the money supply has increased, but like industrial output, it's remained pretty flat just because this, like from a supply standpoint, businesses haven't been able to open as much, but demand has also went down. So that's been pretty flat. 
Also, employment. Employment's actually went down, which drops wages, which drops prices. So you're kind of seeing more of a deflationary thing there. And the other thing being like your velocity of money, people are holding on to cash right now. They're hoarding cash. So we really haven't seen like the inflationary aspect that I would have thought, except in the asset types, people, the money that has stayed, you know, a lot of our costs of goods and things like that gets exported. So you don't really see that until later on, but you have seen like inflationary prices with real estate and things like that. But again, a lot of that has to do with interest rates and the feds. You know, Garrett, no doubt about it, you are someone that has a high level of self-discipline. I love talking about self-discipline and, you know, just habits that people have that, uh, you know, it's it's those things that, you know, it's those small things over a long period of time, right? You know, that gain so much ground. It's not typically one big thing. But, you know, so do you have any daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? Oh, yeah. Man, this could be a different podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to think which ones. So... On a day-to-day basis, I try to get up at 4, 4.30, go ahead and start working out, do my Bible and devotion. I try to take care of the spiritual, physical, mental side first before I start my day. It just gets me in a good place mentally, spiritually, physically, things like that. From there, before I go into my day, I've got, I actually have something on my mirror called like daily disciplines. And I write down things that I track on a weekly basis, like my working out, my schedule, like that, things that I can track, you know, what, what you can measure gets done. From there, as far as just like daily habits, what's been important to me talking about time basis and, you know, time management is every day I have certain tasks that I do at a certain time. So it's kind of like time chunking. And it's kind of like with what you do, you know, you might have a couple of days a month that you do podcasts, you batch all those tasks together. So every week, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing in a certain time slot on a certain day. And it never changes, especially with doing land and multifamily and all of that. There's so many tasks to be done. And if you do it like a to-do list, you're always overwhelmed. So it's, for me, it's been writing down all those tasks and then slotting them down in a you know, in a certain time frame and making that repetitive. Nice. Now, I, I love just, you know, documenting those things. I think it does lots of things to be able to document it and you see the progress, it gains you some momentum and encourages yourself at the same time that you're actually accomplishing something. So thanks for sharing that, Garrett. Three more questions quickly before we run out of time, but what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? You know, that's kind of changed here in the past because I've always been more of a personal guy. I probably need to do a little bit better job on the online marketing. You know, you've done an absolute fantastic job with your podcast and things like that. So I guess now it it has been more online, but I could probably be more intentional with how I go about that. Probably be a little bit more proactive in either having a podcast or having some type of thought leadership platform to grow off of. What about the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Probably habits. You know, just, you know, they say develop the habits of success and make success a habit. I've always believed that to be true. So finding good mentors to learn from, figuring out what their habits are, and then emulating their habits to start with. And then once you've really figured out their habits, then at that point, you can figure out, you know, where you want to pivot from there doing those things. And how do you like to give back? 
Uh, I love to give back my time as far as like teaching people real estate. I'm so passionate about it. And I think it's such a great way to create generational wealth and allow you to do more good in the community. Also active member of a church, love to do things with that. Those are probably my top two. Garrett, thank you again for your time and just giving back to us today and, and walking through your process of getting started. And congratulations even getting started at 20, 21 years old, buying that duplex and and then finding an investor and buying the next deal and now you know doing larger deals and numerous businesses and just congratulations on your just success. And, and really, you're sticking to those daily habits that have got you there. Just appreciate you sharing those with us. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So our website is whiteinvestors.com, W-H-I-T-E investors.com. You can also email me at Garrett at whiteinvestors.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all your social media. Just look up Garrett White. Those would probably be your best ways to reach out. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.